Well, good evening. There was a young man who made his friend a loan of $500 but failed to get it in writing. Well, about a year later, he realized that that money was lost primarily due to the lack of proof, right? His friend never paid him back. And so he goes to his father and asks for some advice. He doesn't know what to do to get this money back. And his father was real quick with his response. He says, all you got to do is write your friend a note saying that he owes you the $1,000 that you loaned him a long time ago. And the son goes, well, Dad, he didn't lend me $1,000. He lent me $500. He goes, oh, I know. Just write him the note, and he'll be quick to let you know that he only borrowed 500 from you, right? Now, I don't know how it turned out for this kid, but the truth is that we need more than intelligence to live life well. We need this other thing called, anybody know? Wisdom. We need this thing called wisdom, and we've been in this study called Old School, and we've been looking at what King Solomon says is wisdom. We've been looking at this thing called character and trying to build the right things into our life because it takes more than intelligence. It takes more than skills. It takes more than just being competent at something in order to live life well. It takes wisdom, and it takes character. It takes something deeper in your soul to be successful at the highest levels of life. And as a matter of fact, this 3,500-year-old book that King Solomon wrote to us uh, is talking all about this Hebrew word called wisdom. And and I just want to share this word. Maybe you can help me out with it a little bit. The the Hebrew word for wisdom is hakmah. Can you say that with me? Hakmah. Yeah, get it going in there, right? Hakmah. And And it literally means the skills for living or the skill of living right. It's, it's this elusive quality of being able to make right decisions and good decisions that perpetually move you forward in life. It, it's the skill of learning how to get along in life. It's the skill of learning how to take two steps forward without taking one step backwards. Anybody ever feel like that? That much of your life is two steps forward, but then there's these big steps backwards. Well, being wise and having the kind of character that God wants in us and from us is going to prevent this two-step forward, one-backwards type of, of, of a life. And so I'm so glad you're here today. We're in our Old School series, and if you've been around, you know that Old School is our trip through the Old Testament part of the Bible. Uh, we started at the beginning many, many years ago, and every once in a while we come back to this series, and we are just kind of walking our way through, and now we find ourselves in the middle of the book called Ecclesiastes. And so if you have a Bible or a smartphone, I would love for you to find the book of Ecclesiastes. You can just Google this word into your smartphone, and it will come right up. Now, I asked you to find this on your phone or in your Bible because, friends, I want you to read this for yourself. I want you to get used to finding God's word, knowing God's word, handling God's word on your own. I want you to get used to looking it up on your own device. I want you to become familiar with this. And I'll be real honest with you. My hope is that every time we are together, every time we gather and we open God's word together, my hope is that God's word comes alive to you that it just jumps off the pages, that, that there's something stirred in your heart. My hope is, is that when you leave this place each and every week, it's like, it's like you, you walk out going, that was for me. It's as if that was written for me, as if God spoke directly for me. And so friends, um, I believe that this can happen if you have an open heart toward the things of God. If you come in here, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what's wrestling around in your soul, if you just quiet your heart for a moment, And you say, God, speak to me. I believe that God will speak to you because his word is alive. His word is active. And if you open your heart to it, you'll see this, friends. Amen? Anybody know this? Anybody know this? Come on. You know it? So why don't we do this? Um, I want to tell you where we're going to go, exactly where we're going to go today. If it's okay with you, uh, we are going to do an old-fashioned Bible study, just kind of verse by verse. I'm going to read a few verses and I'm going to share a couple thoughts about it, and then we'll read some more, and, and, and some of the thoughts will be a little longer, and some will be a little shorter, but we're just going to kind of work our way through this rest of this chapter, chapter 7, and then at the end, I'm going to give you a test. I mean, it's not old school without a test, right? Right? Tests are normal in school, and so uh, I'm going to give you a character test at the end, and I hope and I pray that your hearts We'll be ready for this. And so let's say a quick prayer and let's ask God to speak into our hearts right now. And so let's quiet our soul just for a minute and let let me lead us in prayer. Um, Father God, uh, we ask that you would be present today. 
God, we ask through your spirit that you would reveal truth to us, that you'll give direction to us, that you will bring more of you into our lives through your spirit. Help us to see your son Jesus in all things done here. God, help us to become like your son. Help us to develop the character of your son in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds. Speak, O God, for your child is listening. Amen. Amen. So let's begin with verse 15. Now, if you were here uh, last week, you'll know that Solomon in chapter 7 really began with this idea that reputation matters, that, that your character matters, that your integrity matters. Uh, it, it matters who you are on the inside, not just on the outside. Everything in our culture values what's on the outside, but Solomon begins by telling us, no, 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 no. What matters is what's on the inside of us, who we are and who we are becoming. And, and we made this case, Solomon begins to make this case that, that your last day on earth ought to be better than your first day. That your last day matters more than your first day. Y'all remember this? This is critical that we develop character inside of us. Uh, We want to ultimately live a life where God is pleased with us, where we're reflecting his nature with what we do, with what we say and how we act and how how we, we are treating life and how we are responding to the life that's given to us. And ultimately, we want to live a life that not only God is proud, but that our family around us is proud of who we are and who we became in this world. And so starting in verse 15, Solomon sorts, sort of runs this diagnostic set of questions that he gives us. He, he begins to kind of throw the book at us a little bit, and, and he says, what I want to do is I want to challenge you to think about where you're heading in this life. And he says, uh, he goes, I want to give you some things that are going to tune you up, that are going to heal you, and they're going to they're develop God's character inside of you. You know what a diagnostic test is, right? It's like when you go, like your car is acting funny and you go to your mechanic and you pull it up and he has this little computer and he hooks it up to the computer of your car and the car goes, hey, nice to meet you. And the computer and, you know, the car kind of have this little chat and like, hey, what's wrong with you today? Oh, I'm not really sure. Well, let me take a look. And and so they kind of go back and forth and then ultimately the computer uh, spits out a diagnosis, right? And it tells the mechanic what to, to, to work on, what to look at, what to fix in the car. And so Solomon is going to kind of run this diagnostic. He's going to give us all this stuff to think about life because his ultimate goal is that our last day is better than our first day, that he's shaping character and integrity inside of us. And so uh, let's just begin with some of the questions. And I'm going to kind of put a question to it as we work through these. And you may want to write these questions down because these are questions for you to check against your own soul. And and so the first question Solomon begins is kind of a little bit of a weird one. But if we were to put it in our language today, Solomon asks, do you believe in karma? Karma, you get what karma is, right? Not Carmel, but karma, right? Karma is this idea that what goes around comes around, you get what you deserve out of life, right? Well, here's how Solomon brings this idea up because a lot of us live with this belief. And he's gonna challenge it a little bit. This is what he says. He says, verse 15, he goes, in this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these things, that the righteous perish in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. And and have you seen this before? Have you seen this where it's like the good guy can't catch a break, but the bad guy gets all the luck, right? It's like the good guy, he he dies young and and he has this difficult life, but the bad guy seems to live on and on forever. And Solomon says, I have seen this. And it's not just an expression like, hey, I saw that too. It is a, it's a Hebrew expression of disgust. He says, I don't get this. It makes me mad. He's he's sort of a bit miffed that, that there doesn't seem to be any correlation between one's goodness and one's lifespan. And and we see this principle at work in our world, right? We, We see the innocent child die of cancer. And we see the bad guy living a long and generous and prosperous life, right? We see Jesus um, himself die at 33, and we see Playboy's founder, Hugh Hefner, who seems to be like 100 and, what, 96, 97 now, right? It's like he lives forever and ever, and we go, what is going on here? Uh, And it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense, because in karma, it, it says that you get what you deserve in this life. And some of us go, oh, yep, that's karma, because we see that happen on occasion. But if we were to back up, like Solomon's doing here, he's saying that's not really how life works, is it? Um, What I mean is this, is if if something bad happens to you, 
we often live out, we, we often think karma. Now, as Christians, we should disavow karma because we're going to see that the scripture does not teach us at all. But practically speaking, we live like we believe it. And so what happens is, is if we see something bad happen to somebody, we go, ah, God's getting them. And if, and if we see something good happen, maybe even in your own life, you somehow get this idea that God must be pleased with you in this moment. That's why you just got this brand new car, just dropped from heaven, boop, you know, kind of a deal. And, and we somehow think that it's, it, there's a correlation, but, but that's just not how it works, Solomon says. Um, sometimes, he says, good people live a very short and difficult life. And sometimes very bad people live a long and prosperous life. Um, and so when life gets going, Solomon says to us, don't pat yourself on the back too much. Don't hurt yourself trying to stretch over and think how good you are just because good things are happening to you. Nor, he says, to make sure when bad stuff's happening, don't go blaming God and don't go thinking God's angry at you. Don't go thinking God's disappointed with you. He says it doesn't quite work that way. Solomon is saying this. He says, I can't understand how God works. And maybe you feel this way. Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever just said, I don't quite understand it because what I think should happen doesn't happen and what I was hoping was gonna happen didn't happen at all. Anybody ever feel this way? That you just don't understand how God works. But friends, I think we should be able to agree that if I could understand how God works, and if I could understand all the things that God does, then he would be no more God than I am. And if you understood all that God had going on in your life, then you would be strangely like him, wouldn't it? But friends, we have to admit that there is a huge difference between us and God. And Solomon is pointing out the obvious. He's saying, if you want to develop character, He's saying, do not be so arrogant to think that you know the hand of God. Don't be so arrogant. You see, we think because we can't figure out God, God is not real. It's like somebody who approaches a 10,000-piece jigsaw puzzle. We think that just because we can't put it together in five minutes, there must not be a picture to it. And he says, that's crazy. That's arrogant to think that. Just because you don't understand the hand of God doesn't mean that God is not at work. And it doesn't mean that God is not real. And so one of the first character tests he puts in front of us is are we willing to trust him? Are we willing to realize that God is bigger than us and different than us and that he doesn't have to explain himself to us? I wish he would. Anybody in the room wish he would? But he says, I'm not going to sometimes. And we're gonna have to somehow get around this idea that God knows what we don't know. And so he, he begins with asking this question, do we trust God or are we gonna live in our own limitations thinking that we are owed an explanation for everything that come our, comes our way? You have to make this call. So he begins to talk about this idea of building this kind of character. And then here's the second question I think you could write down is this, is do you chase extremes in your life? Do you chase extremes? This next section is, is, is really, it's a complicated uh, piece of scripture. And, and when you read this, you're gonna go, huh? Okay, now let me just read this to you. Okay, it says this, in, starting in verse 16, it says, do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Whoever fears God will avoid all extremes. To that we go, huh. So one, two, three. Is God really saying like, like you, you can be too righteous? Is, is the word of God teaching us right now that a little wickedness is good for you? Come on, that's what it said, didn't it? Let me be very clear on this. Let me be very, very, very clear. It's a big fat no. That's not what he's saying at all, not in the least. Let me, let me walk this through for us a little bit here because I think this is really, really hard to get because this is saying like, well, you can't be too righteous and matter of fact, you should probably be wicked at some times in your life. And he is not saying that at all. Jesus talked, if you remember, maybe some of you remember this, that Jesus talked about this pathway to heaven. Does anybody remember this? He said that there is a road to heaven and it's narrow. Anybody remember this? It's small, very few 
find it. He, he began to speak of this idea of a, of a pathway to heaven. And, and, and the friends, he says, don't veer off of it. Don't drive off the road. But the truth is, there's really two ways to drive off the narrow road to heaven. Now think about this for a second. The first way you can veer to the left and, and you can think uh, that grace, that God's forgiveness and mercy is, 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 it just covers everything and every part of who you are and you can just do whatever you doggone well please and, and you can just kind of move through life in that way and not really care about what God actually leads us to do. We can err, we can drive off the road by overemphasizing grace or you can veer to the right by overemphasizing laws and rules and religion. Let me explain this a little bit. You can drive off this narrow road by convincing yourself that God is like a permissive parent. Y'all seen permissive parents in our society? Like, hey, why don't you knock your kid around a little bit and straighten him up, right? I mean, he's like really destructive right now. You need to, you need to figure this kid thing out right now. Oh, I can't tell him no. That would offend him. That would hurt his feelings. If I, if, I, if I put a stop to that, my teenage daughter would become more rebellious. And so we have permissive parents out there. Anybody ever seen permissive parents or the kids of permissive parents? You know exactly what I'm talking about, right? And somehow we have convinced ourselves that God is like this permissive parent. A whole bunch of Christians, probably even Christians in this very room, think that God is more concerned about love than he is holiness, When God in reality is concerned about what? Both. We've convinced ourselves that God is more concerned about love than holiness. A whole bunch of us start thinking that God is love, 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 love. And let me tell you something. God is love. And we think to ourselves that God forgives everybody of everything, every time, everywhere. And that's true. And we somehow think that, that, that no one is perfect. And that's true as well. And so consequently, consequently we, we begin to not worry so much about our behavior, about our decision-making process, about who we are becoming, that, that we don't have to live a disciplined life, that, that sin is really no big deal because Jesus will just keep on forgiving my sin over and over and over again. It's like he writes you a blank check to do whatever you want. And Solomon says, you start behaving like this. You start taking this extreme. It will not end well for you. He says, somewhere in the process, you'll lose who you are to become. Your character will enter into the mud pits of life. And you will not be all that God wants you to be. And so he says, that's one extreme. But, but he also says, it, it, you can drive off the road Another way, to the right. You, you convince yourself that God is this stern, judgmental God. He's like a parent that has like a merit and a demerit checklist on the refrigerator. You know what I'm talking about? Like a parent who just keeps scores of everything. Like, you got that. You got, ooh, that was a bad ax. And you got to check the oh, bad ax over here. It's like you got it on the fridge for everybody to see. And so what we do oftentimes is we begin to think, well, God is this kind of like this heavenly judge, this heavenly miser who's, who's lording it over us and going, ah, that's, you're out. You're out. You're out. And we begin to think that God has this merit checklist. And so we try to step up to that. As a matter of fact, we even go beyond that. We have God's rules. And then we start making up our own rules to go with God's rules. Because God's rules aren't enough. And so you think you and God get together. It can be really good. Right? And then here's what we do. And you know this to be true. Because I've struggled with this. It's called self-righteousness. We start thinking we're better than everybody else. We start thinking, well, why don't they act like me? I don't struggle with that. Why do they struggle with that? And I think, how could they ever? And all the while, I don't look in the mirror. All the while, I'm not paying attention to what's going on in my own soul. And we begin to elevate this judgmental side of God. And Solomon says, you, you got you to be careful with this because you can never earn God's favor. You could never earn God's grace. It's like he says, if you think you deserve heaven because you've earned God's grace, you have another story coming to you. Do, you. do you remember the parable of the lost son in the New Testament? Do you guys remember this? Jesus tells this very, very powerful story. It's called the parable of the, or the prodigal son. Anybody remember this? It's Luke 15, I think it is. Um, he, he tells this story about how the prodigal son, one brother veered off to the left by drinking too much, by uh, running around with a bunch of women, by spending all of his cash, and he ends up in the mud pit of life. And Jesus points it out and says, that's a terrible, terrible way to go. But if you remember that story, it didn't involve just one brother. It involved 
two brothers. The other brother went off the road to the right because he thought he was self-righteous. He thought, I'm better than this guy because I do everything. I obey all the rules. As a matter of fact, I make up rules to obey. He goes, I don't deserve anything because I've earned it. Or I don't get it from, by free grace from God. I've earned this for myself. And Jesus called both brothers out and said, if you're not careful, you're going off the road one way or the other. And Solomon says, don't drive to either extreme. This isn't about like, oh, I can go do what I want. Or like he says, be a little wicked. No, no, no. He's saying, you got to understand where grace comes from. And what we do with grace. And how we respond to grace. Don't err on either side. Don't think you are self-righteous. And don't take the grace God has given you for granted. By thinking you can do whatever you want. Amen? Amen. And so here's the third thing. He asks another question. It goes like this. You could write this down. Do you believe in our sin nature? It's a very simple question. Do you believe in our sin nature? This is very, very important. Really quick, I'm just gonna land on this very, very quick. Two verses, it says this. Uh, verses 19 and 20, it says, wisdom makes one wise, excuse me, wisdom makes one wise person more powerful than 10 rulers in a city. Isn't that good? Somebody say that's real good. That's real good, Solomon. That's a good one right there. Wisdom makes one wise person more powerful than 10 rulers in a city. Indeed, there is no one on earth who is what? Righteous. No one who does what is right and never sins. Now, what's this word for wisdom again? It's chokmah. Right? Chokmah. It's wisdom for doing life. And Solomon is saying, we got to get this right. We got to get wisdom for doing right. Because listen, he says, you can hang out with all the powerful people. You can hang out with all the popular people. You can hang out with all the beautiful people, with all the rich people. But let me tell you something. If they're fools, they are going to drag your soul into the pit of hell. It will not end well for you. One wise person can rise above all the powerful people out there. And then, and then he says this. He says we have to recognize what sin nature does and where it is. He says sin nature is inside of us. And we have to be wise to realize that if we're not careful, we will drive off the road one way or another because we are all sinners, every one of us. Uh, some of you know that I follow politics a little bit. And politics, some people go, oh, it's not important. I don't really care about politics. No, 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 no. Politics are really, really important because these money-hungry, power-grabbing snakes control too much of our lives. Can I get an agreement on that? Okay, good. And, and so many of you also know that there is a presidential election coming up, and it's fascinating what's going on out there. But have you heard of the Donald? Come on, the Donald Right? Donald Trump, he's a billionaire. He owns all these casinos and resorts. And, and he had a TV show called The Apprentice. And his famous line was, you're fired, right? He loves to fire people and all that. Uh, now, it doesn't really matter what you think of his politics. I'm not talking about his politics. But he made a statement claiming as a Christian to make this statement, which is, I think, literally the stupidest statement any Christian could ever make. Okay? Now, it says nothing to do with politics. Nothing to do with whether I'm voting for him or not or you're voting for him or not. It's just a stupid statement from a Christian. This is what he said, quote, and I'll put it up on the screen for you. I don't need to ask God for forgiveness. Now, we could just pause right there and go, hmm. But he goes on. That's not enough. He says, why do I have to repent or ask for forgiveness if I'm not making any mistakes? I work hard, and I'm an honorable person, quote, unquote. Now, I'm sure he's a good guy, and I'm sure he works very hard, and, but come on. Who doesn't make mistakes. And who doesn't have sin rattling somewhere down in their soul? Who doesn't have greed or lust or arrogance rattling around deep inside of them? So much so to say, I don't need to ask God for anything. There's a problem here, friends. Every single one of us who has ever walked this planet with the exception of Jesus Christ himself is a sinner. And by nature, we choose sin. Because it's inside of us. And here is the danger of sin. It's not just what we do. It's not just what we think. It's not just how we respond or act or react. The danger of sin is that when we wake up in the morning, it's already buried inside of our hearts. Nobody has to teach us how to be selfish. Nobody has to teach us how to be arrogant. Nobody has to teach us how to be prideful. Nobody has to teach us to be full of greed or lust or any of these things. 
It is inside of us. And Solomon makes a very big point to say, hey, listen, do you understand the risk to your character because sin is inside of you? There is no one who is righteous, not even one. And so he says, if the end of your days are going to be better than your first day, and if you're going to spare yourself a whole truckload of problems, you better realize that you have an enemy that's lurking deep within your soul. And you better be prepared for a battle because it is coming your way. Y'all with me on this? So here's what he says. Here's the next question. You may want to write this down. Do you live for the approval of others? Uh, This is a real deal for a whole bunch of us, right? Do you live for the approval of others? He says, if you want to have a character check in your life, you better ask this question. Do you live for the approval of others or the approval of God? It's that simple. Here's what he says, verses, and this is a real character test, verses 21 and 22, it says, do not pay attention to every word people say, or you may hear your servant cursing you. Listen, for you know in your heart that many times you yourself have cursed others. So he says, listen, if you're careful, you look, look, listen, you're gonna hear junk about you all the time. But he goes, hey, but don't forget, you spread some junk as well, right? Um, eavesdropping apparently has been like a gig for like 3,000 years, right? Um, and, and with the internet, it's only exploded so we can eavesdrop into people's lives and they willingly put it out there. Now, there's nothing private anymore. If you think you're getting away with much, you are not getting away with anything in this world. There is a digital trail behind you almost anywhere you go. What you say is recorded. Your pictures are recorded. Everything. You can't take it back. It is out there in digital land, right? And so the problem is, is that there's usually somebody out there who's saying something that they would not say to our face or, or, or tell you like in a letter or, or in person. In other words, there's people talking about you rather than to you. And here's the deal. Every single one of us, he says, has done this. And so he says, if you are going to check your character, you better not be involved with this. You better not be seeking the approval of men or destroying another man or woman. He says, you got to check this, right? Uh, Flamethrowing online has become a global phenomenon, right? Just lashing out on people, letting the whole world, it's the stupidest stuff, am I right? You see people just unload about all their struggles, all their problems, who they hate, all of it's right online, right, for the whole world to see. The whole world is invited in, and as soon as the whole world's invited in, it's like monkeys in in a zoo. What happens with monkeys in a zoo? They start throwing poop around, right? It's just what they do, and Solomon gives this piece of advice. He says, wise people, people of character, they're careful not to throw the poop around. They're they're careful not to slander and gossip. But they try to deal with people straight up. That's a big deal, right? And that's what he says. And so he says, you gotta be careful not to live for the approval of others. Be careful. Be very, very careful for that. And here's the next thing. You may wanna write this down. Um, If you wanna test your character, he asks this really weird question. I think he says it like this, more or less. He says, Have you been stupid? Have you just been stupid with your life? Listen to how he puts it. This is an amazing thing. Solomon is doing some really strong self-appraisal here. He's looking deep into his own soul at this moment. He he says this, uh, all all this I tested by wisdom, and I said, I am determined to be wise. In other words, he's like, I've looked at my life, I'm trying to figure out how to be wise, to do it right, but then he says this little phrase, but this is beyond me. In other words, I've been so stupid. I didn't want to be stupid. I just am stupid. I tried to do it right, but I just can't do it right. I tried to treat people well, but I just haven't treated people well. I've tried, and I'm not even sure how I screwed it up. This is what he says. He goes, whatever exists is far off and most profound. Who can discover it? In other words, I've tried, I've looked, and it's way out there somewhere, but I've tried to get there, but I can't get there. So I Listen, so I turned my mind to understand, to investigate, and to search out wisdom and the schemes of things and to understand the stupidity of wickedness and the madness of folly. One of the great features on Google, uh, Google is Google Earth, right, where you can kind of zoom in and zoom out. And Solomon's saying, listen, every once in a while, you've got to have this zoom out moment. 
where you're just taking a self-appraisal and you're trying to figure out all of these relationships, all of these issues, all of these situations in your life. And he's saying, where do I fit in the middle of all that? Because I've tried to do it right. I've tried to get it right. But I just can't seem to get it right. And he says, the only way to fix it is to back it up. And what's interesting is some of the foolishness or madness that he talks about is different than sin. Some of the stuff we do is stupid and it's flat out sinful, but some of it's stupid and it's just stupid, right? And so this idea of just some stupid stuff, it's like how you spend your money. I'm constantly broke. Yeah, but stop spending like a dumb person, right? Or, or I can't seem to get my marriage together. Well, stop fighting all the time. Or I can't seem to get my house in order. Turn off the TV and clean up. Just dumb things that we do. Anybody in the room do dumb things? All of us. And Solomon says, it would help if we did a Google Earth of our life. If we just backed it up and thought deeply for a moment about who we are becoming. Think about it. It's a character test. And so he says this, and this is the next thing, and I think you should write this down. It's number six. He says, is sex your trap? You cannot talk about character, apparently not then and not now, about, without talking about this thing called sexuality. Am I right? I mean, it is a big part of the human experience. It is a big part of who we are. And Solomon asks this question, is sex your trap? And he seems to say what we say all the time around here. We, we put it like this. Nothing takes you further, farther from the heart of God faster than sexual immorality. Nothing. Nothing. And Solomon is going to bring this to bear in our life right here. He says this, you want to look at your character? You want to look at who you're becoming? You better look at your sexuality. This is what he says. I find more bitter than death. Now pause. That is a powerful statement. I find more bitter than death. What is more bitter than death? He goes, well, I found something. Listen to this. He goes, I found something. I find more bitter than death the woman who is a snare, (laughs) Uh, whose heart is a trap, whose hands are like chains. The man who pleases God will escape her, but the sinner she will ensnare. Yikes. Sorry, ladies. You are trouble, right? (laughs) You are trouble for us guys. Uh, and, And possibly vice versa. Am I right, ladies? Yeah. Uh, Seriously, Solomon, I want you to think about where this is coming from. Solomon had about a thousand women running around his palace. Any way you slice it, that's a lot of women. That is a lot of women right there, right? And he has a thousand of them because it says he he married, uh, I think, 300 and had 700 concubines, or he married 700 and had 300 concubines. I can't remember which is which, but he had a lot of women that he brought into his life. But if you were to go back into his story, it's amazing. His story didn't start off that way. His story starts off in the book called Song of Solomon or the Song of Songs. You ever hear of it? It is a love story between him and his first wife. And it is a beautiful story about passion, about joy, about peace, about faithfulness, and about commitment to one another and what it brought into their lives. But then you go beyond that. Solomon just is literally trashed his Life. By the end of his life, he is a lonely, jaded, dirty old man who, whose pagan wives literally um, used his money for, to turn his palaces into houses of prostitution for all sorts of evil, and it literally destroyed Solomon's soul. And so now at this point in his life, he's looking back and going, what in the world did I do? After a lifetime of chasing after a sexual fantasy, Solomon never met a woman like his first wife, he says. And we're going to hear this back at the end of this book. He says, there's never been a woman like that first woman I held hands with. And I decided to marry. And that's, we said we were going to build a life together. And Solomon is looking back and saying, after all the things I ran after, I wish I wouldn't have changed that. I wish I would have stayed with her and built a family together and got old together and did it right. I wish, I wish... I would have kept my sexual desires in check. But now he's looking back and saying, oh man, oh man, did that destroy me. Nothing takes you further, farther, faster from the heart of God than sexual morality. 
nothing. As a matter of fact, listen to what Solomon says in verse 28. This is just kind of funny to me. I just, it would it'd be an error for us not to read this verse. This is so good. It says, I found one upright man among a thousand. So in other words, not too good. One upright man among a thousand, but not one upright woman among them all. Ouch, ladies. Um, Solomon is not calling women out any more than he's calling men out. What he's saying is, I have been hurt by my own indiscretions. I have destroyed a part of me by my own indiscretions. He says, I've deeply wounded my character, and I can never, ever take it back. Nothing takes you further, faster from the heart of God than your sexual sin. And if we are going to be men and women who live noble lives, lives that are different than this world, lives that count for eternity, lives that reflect the goodness and purity and holiness of God, we have got to get this area of our life under wraps. Would you agree? It's important. One more thing. Solomon says this. Do you blame God for stuff? He says, wise people, men and women of character, own their own issues. He says they own their own failures. He says they own their own indiscretions. They don't play the blame game, not with God, not with others. Men and women of character decide to own who they become, and they decide to change it or to live with it. Here's what it says. The only, uh, excuse me, yeah, uh, the only, this only have I found. God created man upright. This is verse uh, 20 or 29. It says, this only have I found. God created man upright, mankind upright. In other words, God created us to be good. God created us to do good in this world. But then he says this, but they have gone in search of many schemes. When God created all, all things, he says, this is good. And then when he got to mankind, he said, this is, anybody know? Very good. His intention for us was nothing but noble, nothing but honorable, nothing but good. But you and me, here's what we do. We take the very good thing that comes out of that mama and we go running after all kinds of junk in our life. We go looking for schemes. We go looking for trouble, right? It's true. It's true. We go looking for satisfaction everywhere else. And Solomon says, wise people, don't blame God. Wise people own their failures. They try to do something about it. They stop searching for answers elsewhere. They turn their hearts back toward God. And so Solomon says that this idea of character really matters. It really matters. We've got to get this right. And so here's what I think would be appropriate. That maybe we would end with a little character test. So I want you to check this video out. It's been said that one of the best friends a true follower of Christ can have is, is self-awareness. I mean, I think we've all seen those people where, uh, where, where they think everything that they do is good, where they think they're rocking it in life, where they think they got it all together, but everybody around them begs to differ. Everybody around them knows that it's simply not true. I think one of the most important things, if we're going to grow our soul, if we're going to grow our relationship, Solomon is teaching us that we have to somehow monitor any impending crisis in our life. We've got to somehow figure out where we're starting to veer off track, where we're starting to fall apart, where the cracks are starting to be seen in our life. You see, in our culture, all the emphasis seems to be on talent. All the emphasis seems to be on intelligence. And they, and they say, you know, your competencies, right? You've got to grow your competencies to be successful. But Solomon is teaching us that competency is second place to character, that, that your competency can only take you as far as your character can sustain you, that it takes something more internal to become all that you were created to become. I read this article recently by a pastor uh, up in Canada. His name is Kerry Newhoff, and 
he, he was writing about this idea of integrity and character and how much it really matters and how to monitor where your integrity, where your character is heading. And, and I can't believe just how much this little article impacted me. I mean, it really stuck with me and challenged me uh, to look at who I'm becoming and who I want to become. And, and so Carrie begins by saying that we need to ask ourselves some questions. We need to examine our character. And he talked about this idea that, that these questions will determine whether our character is starting to fall apart. And so the first question he asked was this, is there a growing gap between what we say publicly versus how we live privately? Uh, it's true. I think most of us understand that character rarely implodes immediately. It doesn't just explode on us. Most of the time, it slowly falls apart. So this, obviously, you think about it, it goes to the big areas. Like, you know, privately, are you drinking too much? Privately, are you uh, using language that just not becoming of a believer? Uh, are, are, you, uh, are you looking at things like pornography that do not glorify God, that do not edify your soul and help you to become all that you want to become? But those are the biggie vices, right? There's all kinds of big things. Like, is there greed, you know, hidden in your life that you just cannot seem to satisfy? But it goes beyond that. It, he, it's any gap between what you say and what you do. So you, you can say you believe in grace, but you're always yelling and, and screaming at your wife and kids, right? Um, you, you say you believe in grace, but you're overly demanding with people. You, you say you, you want to live generous, but you're, you don't live open-handedly. Uh, you say you believe in the kingdom of God, but you do very little to, to move the kingdom of God forward. You, you see, there's this gap between what we say and what we do. And wise people, wise people figure that out and they begin to do something about it. They're not settled with it. They don't just say, oh, it's no big deal. They, they figure out how to change this in their life. And so this first question, I think it's critical if we're going to become all that God wants us to become. Another thing that Carrie says that we should ask ourselves is this idea of, are your emotions inappropriate for the situation? A sure sign that your character is falling apart is when your reactions to any given situation are disproportionate to the actual situation. You know exactly what I'm talking about, right? It's the idea that you fly off the handle at very, very small things. It's, it's when you feel nothing at all when somebody tells you something very, very sad. You've lost your compassion for people. Or it's the opposite, that you can't celebrate somebody else's victories in life. There is danger ahead when, when our reactions, when our emotions aren't in tune to the situation around us. When we overreact, we are at our healthiest when... When our whole being is submitted to Christ, when our emotions line up with the kind of emotional responses that God wants for us in any given situation. The scripture talks about this idea that we mourn with those who mourn. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We have compassion on, on people who, who need our compassion, that we have empathy when people need our empathy, uh, that we don't gloat over situations or, or, or we don't have this like personal pride welling up inside of us. We are at our best when our whole being is submitted to Christ, when our inner being reflects what he wants on the outside of us. And, and friends, the only way that we can possibly keep this kind of character in our life is to desire more of God and less of who we are. The only way that we're ever going to become all that we're supposed to become in these kinds of areas is when we submit fully to the leadership of Christ. Another question that he says we need to ask ourselves to determine whether or not our character is starting to implode is whether or not we have less and less grace to give. You see, there is nothing wrong with having high standards. Of course, we, we want excellence in our life. There's nothing wrong with expecting people to perform around us. As a matter of fact, as a church, we say that excellence really does matter. We believe it honors God and it inspires people around us. But the problem becomes when in the pursuit of things that are good or the pursuit of things that are excellent, that we start to treat people like dirt. I, I got to admit for my own life, I'm a pretty driven person and and I want to perform in life, and I want the organizations I'm part of to perform in life. And, but, the, but in the process of that, you know, looking back over my life, um, I've made a lot of mistakes. 
in the way that I've treated other people in the process. You see, when grace starts to become less and less in our lives, there's a problem. When we run out of grace, the truth is this, is that we've run out of God in our life. And and the only way to, to become all that God wants us to become with our character is to get more of God in our life, to, to not only re- realize that grace has been given to us, but that we need to give grace to other people. It's a serious problem when there's a growing gap in our life, when we have inappropriate responses, and when we seem to run out of grace on people. We've got to look inwards. We've got to fix some things. And so Carrie is saying that we need to ask ourselves some pretty important questions. And the next question is this, is has your life become all about you? Is it just about yourself, your needs, your desires, your wants? You see, great people serve. That's what Jesus said. Great people figure out how to have a positive influence on somebody else. Great people figure out how to lower themselves in order to figure out how to elevate other people. And we get this completely lost in our society. You look at anybody, you look at anybody whose character is starting to implode. They are completely concerned with themselves. You look at anybody who has become addicted to anything. It just takes over their life. Their life becomes all about them, all about their desires, all about their wants, all about where they're heading in life. It is amazing. Somebody who has become addicted, they can ruin their family's health, their family's finances, the relationships. They can ruin their marriages. They can ruin their their, uh, friendships with their own children. It's unbelievable how selfish we can become. But Jesus says great people figure out how to serve. Great people figure out how to lift others up. And and if you want to know if your character is starting to implode, uh, you look at how you serve other people, how you care about other people. I've done a lot of wedding ceremonies over the years, and one of my favorite stories to tell is is the, is the one about Leonard Bernstein. I don't know if any of the brides and grooms actually listen to what I say, but there is so much truth in this little story. Leonard Bernstein was a famous, famous orchestra conductor, and he was once asked, what is the most difficult uh, instrument to play inside of the orchestra? And he replied immediately. He said, well, second chair fiddle. Is, is the hardest instrument to play. And, and, they, and they asked him why, and he quickly responded, because if nobody plays second chair, it is impossible to have harmony in the orchestra. And, and the truth is, our culture says it's all about me, it's all about everything I want, it's about my desires, it's about my hopes, it's about my career, it's about my dreams. And we have forgotten that what makes something excellent, what makes something great, is when it's good for everybody. You see, you have a problem in our, with character when you notice in your own life that it is becoming more and more about you. When your wife comes to speak to you about something very, very important and you just brush it off because somehow it's taking your freedom away. Or you know you have a problem when a close friend comes to you and, and they say they got a, a situation, they have a need, but you have very little capacity within you to care about them, to, to show any concern for them when, when you don't have any time for, for them, right? Or, or you know there's an imploding character when, when your church asks for, for you to step up and to serve in some way and you feel like you're equipped to serve and and you want to serve, but you simply don't make the room in your life or when God is leading you towards something and you don't respond because you say your life is too busy, it's too about you, that you have too much going on to care. Listen, Jesus says that great people serve. Great people figure out how to engage the world around them and to make it better. You have an imploding character issue when it's all about you. Carrie says there's one more question we need to ask ourselves. If you want to know if your character is heading for a fall, he he says this is probably the most important question as well. He he says, are you continually justifying your your poor decisions and bad actions? Are are you constantly making excuses for what you're doing in life? And, And you think about this. If you want to know if you're heading for a fall, 
Look at your life and just tell, tell us whether or not you're, you're making a bunch of excuses for who you're becoming, right? Uh, you think about this. We start to say things like, uh, I, I'm lonely. And if you knew how lonely I am, then you would do the same thing. Or if you had to carry what I had to carry in life, uh, you would feel the same way and you would do the same thing and you would decide the same thing. Uh, if you had the stress that I have, then, then you can't judge me because you would do the exact same thing. Well, the truth is, um, you know you're heading for a fall if you're making excuses in your life. You know you're in trouble if you're continually justifying things that you know are simply not the best for your life. And so Solomon tells us that the, one of the best friends that we can have is personal reflection. It's to look inward and to, to work on our character. And so this is the new auditorium at our new campus in Riverview. And you're sitting in a place just like this right now. Uh, you're sitting in a place of reflection. You're, you're sitting in a place where you've come to and you're literally asking God to speak to you. That's why you came to church. And so today, as we wrap up this part of the book of Ecclesiastes, ask yourself the question, is my character heading in the right direction? Am I becoming the kind of man or woman that God wants me to become? Am I becoming all that I'm supposed to be in this world? I think that's a pretty important thing to ask yourself. Let's, uh, let's just end by taking a moment and uh, let's be with God just for a moment and we'll get out of here. Let's just bow together. God, right now, as we take a moment uh, to start this self-appraisal, God, would you reveal truth to us? Not about somebody else, but about me, about us, about individuals here. I want you to look at your life a little bit and just see if there's a gap that's growing between what you say publicly and what you do and who you are privately. Think about your responses to life. Are they, are they appropriate for the moment or are they out of proportion? Think about the grace that you have to give other people. Think about this idea, is it becoming more and more and more about you? Where that's the center of everything? Have you slowly taken your eyes off of, off of Christ? God, speak to us. About who we are about who we are becoming, about who you want us to become. God, I freely admit, um, freely admit, I'm guilty of all this and more. God, but I want to be like you and I, I want to reflect you, God. Grow me up. Speak to each man, each woman in this place, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I uh, hope that you feel lifted, not beat down. Right? It's a kind of a hard thing, right, to hear some of this stuff. But the goal is not to beat anybody down, including me. It is to lift us up. It is to challenge us to become more like Jesus in our lives. Uh, if you want to pray with someone, if you want to connect with someone, don't, don't rush out of here. If you feel overwhelmed in life, if you feel stressed out, if you feel like alone, um, off to my left, to your right, right up front here, I have some brothers and sisters who would love to just pray with you, connect with you, listen to you. Take the next steps in your life. Let's grow together. Amen. God bless you.